Good morning and happy Father's Day to everybody, all those fathers out there. Those fathers who are not biological fathers, but they have raised children, those are just equally as important as, um, as I know firsthand. But at this moment, I just ask you just to quickly bow your heads. It has been one of those days and those mornings where just the, you can feel the opposition just doing his thing. So I just want to bring us in reverence in this moment and this time together. So just bow your heads. Dear most gracious Heavenly Father, we just ask that you come and just pour your spirit on and over us. Let us just learn how to wade in the river, the river of life and your river. Just pour into each and every person here that upon which you need each heart and soul to receive and hear. We ask all that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So it has been one of those um, past 24 hours in our family. You know, the ones where you go from chillaxing, as my seven-year-old called it the other day. I I turned to him and I said, oh, so, you know, we're going to go down to my brother's house, which is... Mark Rochateau and Jeannie's house, and he goes, yeah, we chillax there. (laughs) And I said, we chillax there? He goes, yeah, you know, we chill and we relax at the same time, we chillax. And I said, okay. And so we went and we had a wonderful time as a family celebrating my nephew's birthday. And from there, we went home and we went about our day and Then last night as I was preparing to get ready to go to bed so that I could be fresh-eyed for today, got the phone call that my father was taken to the emergency room last night. So then it was a time of, okay, now we need to come together and just pray together as a family. And I didn't lose sight of what I had previously selected for scripture for today. So if you would turn to your Old Testament, to the book of Job, And we are going to actually, we're going to start with verse 1. Verse 1. And it reads in the book, In the land of Oz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God, shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a very large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His son used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of fasting and feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. And here ends the scripture for today. And so as I had prepared my notes, we as a family lived that exact season. That exact season. But being a father, there's weight and heaviness to it. There's also weight and heaviness to not having a father. 
Just some statistical facts from the last census. 19.7 million children live without a father figure in their lives. They are four times greater risk of poverty, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager, more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to go to prison, two times more likely to suffer from obesity, more likely to commit a crime, and two times more likely to drop out of high school. That's heaviness. Now, let me read you the other side of the story. For those children that were raised in a Christian home with Christian values, it is just the opposite. They have less risk of being poverty. They are less likely to be teen pregnant. They have less behavioral problems. They face less abuse and neglect, less alcoholism and drug use, less likelihood to go to prison, less likelihood to commit a crime, and more of an openness to receive and stay in school. Just the opposite. And it's not without reason that when Christ told his disciples, when you pray, pray like this. Opening line, our Father. That before we were born into this moment and this time, we each received a Father, a Heavenly Father. And so as I go through and as I was thinking back on myself, I said, wow, you know, I actually could have been one of those statistics. My father was not present in my life growing up. And then I thought about it and I said, but I was raised in a Christian home. And then I was thinking about it even more so when just the other day during an elder and staff meeting, somebody uh, turned and said, you know, Wish we had a, a Manny Cabral around. For those of you who don't know, Manny Cabral was an elder of this church for many years. And at a time when I was younger, and my mother had to take me out of, of daycare, because yes, I will admit, I was the child that was biting in daycare. <laughs> and thus, she thought that maybe one-on-one -on -one time with the Cabrals, <laughs> might do some, some good on me. So for those parents who are going through that season, don't worry, we do get past it. And so here I was at the Cabral's house, going to the Cabral's house when I was very young as an early, uh, early child. And there was actually, there's one moment in this, this time, and, and Linda would often tell the story, Manny's wife, about the time where I was out in the living room. And she, had, she said, I just walked away for a quick second, and then all of a sudden I just heard this, loud crash and I came flying into the living room and there you were I have no idea how this happened here I was in their living room sitting in the middle of the floor surrounded by glass somehow her prized crystal lamp that was up on the the shelf had fallen now 
I don't have the memory. I was very young, so I don't know whether or not I actually caused it to fall, but it fell nonetheless. But there I was sitting in the middle of the floor surrounded by glass everywhere. And of course, Linda is very distraught. Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, my petunia, you know, as, as Manny, Mr. Cabral would often call everybody, the petunia, she's in the middle of the floor with glass all around her. And so Mr. Cabral came scurrying on in because there was so much glass. So he had to reach down over and pull me back up. And as they stood there, Linda would often tell the story, there you were. And I was just frantic, knowing that you would have, you know, cuts and scrapes and you'd be bleeding and bruised. And how was I going to ever tell Anita? She's never going to let you come to my house again. And there Manny was. It's okay, Linda. It's okay. And he brushed me off and he said, see, not even a scratch. But I remember that moment going back in time because I don't remember so much how the lamp fell. That might be selective memory. I don't remember how the lamp fell, but I do remember, and it's always resonated with me, the calmness of Mr. Cabral. He then went on to be my chauffeur for dance class and soccer class. He was the cute little Portuguese man sitting in the back row of Miss Jill's dance class waiting for me to finish my class as he would shuttle me back and forth. He was a blessing in my life, and I didn't even realize it at the time. And then I have the other extreme. I have my Uncle John in my life as well. And if I put these two men side by side, and I ask both of them to get into a pool, Mr. Cabral would probably be the one that walked slowly, right? Where my Uncle John, he'd be the cannonball guy. Like, I'm just going right in, right? He was just full throttle, head on into anything and everything. He would let you know that he was in a space. He would be loud. He would be welcoming. He would just want to give you a big bear hug. Yes, big bear hug. He was born a, a son of a sharecropper down in the south. And he just resonated this essence of love, this essence of giving. Two men, both different, but yet both exactly the same. Examples of Christian men in my life. And as we look in this scripture with Job, I come to realize, wow, what an example they demonstrated of the characteristics of Job. Something not only for fathers to look at and to resonate with, but something for all of us to soak in, to let it comfort us, and to give us hope and direction and guidance to move forward. The first aspect that Job talks about in the characteristic was that he was blameless. Not without sin, but walking consistency, integrity, and sincerity of walking with God. Going deeper. Keep walking. Oftentimes we go about life and we're going through our trials and tests and uh, going through the wilderness. And we get so far in our journey and then we stop. You know those moments where you just stop 
The fear seems to pressure in on you, and growing just seems outside of the, it's just impossible. And then we do the thing and we start backing up. The good habits about getting up every morning and reading your Bible all of a sudden just seem to slide away. Being blameless. Not saying that we're without sin, but knowing that we do have sin, but knowing that we need to consistently walk with God. And we're not going to do it perfectly each and every time. I bring you to an example as my daughter was just wrapping up her season of playing soccer. Have you ever seen five-year-olds on a soccer field? <laughs> the joy of watching that and at the same time, total frustration. <laughs> as you see, you know, 16 kids sometimes chasing one soccer ball together as a herd. <laughs> they, move from, they move across the field all together. And as you try to instruct them how to spread out and how to play positions, they just don't quite get it, do they? But you just let them be in that season. And then when they're 10 and they've developed the ability to understand, oh, there's an, there's an offense and a defense in this whole thing. Well, then, that's interesting. And then they start to play their positions. My daughter has come to love being a defensive player and protecting her goalie. She feels great pride in her team. But it's interesting because every time the coaches try to have her move up to offense, to the forward, so that she can be closer to the opponent's goal, she always creeps backwards to the familiarity of being on the defense side. We each grow within our seasons. It's amazing. It'll be wonderful to see where she'll be at when she's 15. But I also bring for you an example of, think of uh, somebody who's learning to play piano. And they, too, are five years old, and they learn how to do the chopsticks. And their teacher says, well done. That was great. Perfect. When they are 10, chopsticks quite won't cut it, will they? They'll be expected to have learned something new and different, to expand upon a new skill or a new talent. And then once that is mastered, their instructor will say, well done, well done. And then so on and so on. And thus the same for us as Christians. We are asked to go and to walk, to keep going. Proverbs 2.21 says, For the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. To remain in the water, to keep going, to keep going deeper, to keep wanting more. The second thing that they bring up about Job was that he was upright. He was straightforwardness, honesty, and a sense of justice in dealing with people. It's that love versus, and sometimes people say, you know, that love versus hate, but sometimes it's a little bit more than that. It's the love versus the, the enmity within us, the ability to hate upon hatred. And sometimes that manifests within our own selves, and we get upset with ourselves. I haven't mastered this skill of grace or reverence fast enough or quick enough. I haven't moved myself beyond the state where I need to forgive fast enough or quick enough. We each run the race in our own time, in our own way. 
We are all children of God. And because of that, we have all sinned. And not one of us is called to be a judge. We can't blame. We cannot condescend. We cannot put down how others walk their walk with Christ. We are told that all we can do is walk our walk, run our race, be upright in our regards to God, and be an example and a light on to others. There was a poem that I came across that resonated with me. It's called Questions. I asked God to take away my pain, and God said, no. It's not for me to take away, but for you to give it up. I asked God to make my, uh, my child whole, and God said no. Her spirit was whole. Her body was only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience, and God said no. Patience is a byproduct of tribulation. It isn't granted. It is earned. I asked God to give me happiness, and God said no. I give you blessings. Happiness is up to you. I asked God to spare me pain, and God said, no, suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. I asked God to make my spirit grow, and God said, no, you must grow on your own, but I will prune you to make you fruitful. I asked for all things that might enjoy life, and God said, no, but I will give you life so that you might enjoy all things. I asked God to help me love others as much as he loves me. And God said, ah, finally you have the idea. So I will place others, I will place children in your life to share. Job demonstrated being an upright person, straightforward, honesty, sense of justice in dealing with people. In the scripture, it even says that he, he thought in regards to, if you look at the verse, and early in the morning, he would sacrifice a birth offering of each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and curse God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. The third thing that Job was mentioned was that he feared God. Not a sense of being afraid of God, but recognizing God's holiness and making a sense of awe in his presence. You know, having, there is a, a time growing up, and when I think of a fear, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this for this uh, analogy, my mother. She just looked at me. Uh, she sits over here in the front row. <laughs> she thought this was Father's Day and I was exempt. <laughs> but when I was growing up, understanding what that word feared, to say to fear God, and I understood it very quickly when I was in junior high, and my friends would tell me that they were having a party. And I'd say, oh, great. So what time? When should I be there? Where are we going? And they would turn to me and say, oh, no, 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 we fear your mother. You, you cannot come to this party. <laughs> I 
And I would be devastated. What do you mean I can't come? Oh, no, no, no. See, your mother is the parent in town that when she sees us, walks up to us and asks how we're doing, what's going on. And before you know it, we just tell her everything. And growing up, I realized that, that is that in regards to being fearful of God. So much that you earn so much love and respect of somebody. That you want to do what is right in their eyes and in their love. So to fear God, here is Job. Make a sense of being afraid of God, but recognizing his holiness and having a sense of awe in his presence. It's a huge impact in the way that we live to obey God, to submit to him, to worship him in awe. Job made arrangements to purify and to sanctify for his children, on his behalf of his children. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My Uncle John recently had a double lung transplant very years ago. But during the process, he was actually put on oxygen. He has to carry around oxygen. But once before, remember I told you my Uncle John is the one who does the cannonballs into the pool? Yeah. So when the doctors told him he should rest, not so much. So one day I had called him, and I said, oh, Uncle John, what are you doing? He goes, oh, just sitting around. Right then and there, I knew something was up. What do you mean you're sitting around, Uncle John? To which he said, well, you see, I had to do some work today. Great. What were you doing? Yeah, I had to do some roof on the work, on the um, work on the roof, excuse me. I said, okay, so you went up on the roof? Um, yep, I'm kind of still up there. Okay, Uncle John, you're still up on the roof. Are you still doing the work? Nope, work's been done for the most part. Well, I don't quite understand why work's kind of sort of been done. Either you did it, you didn't do it, you're on the roof, you're off the roof. I'm very confused, Uncle John. You're being very kind of evasive on this. And he goes, yeah, there's a good reason why. I, I said, why? He goes, well, I'm, I'm home alone, and I got up on the roof, even though the doctors told me that I should be resting and preparing my body for an upcoming surgery, and my lungs aren't the best, and I have my portable oxygen tank with me. And the ladder fell. <laughs> I'm stuck on the roof. <laughs> said Uncle John. Now, it just so happened that I was actually far away. I'm like, Uncle John, I can't get to you. What do you mean you're up on the roof? Have you called people? Well, I prayed about it. I said, okay, and how's that going? Well, I'm still up on the roof. <laughs> I said, you don't want to call anybody, do you? Nope, not at all. <laughs> I said, okay, well, I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm about an hour away from you. He goes, okay, no worries. I've got faith. I said, okay. And so as he was sitting up there on the roof, time went by. I called him back a little while later, and I said, I'm just checking in on you. I'm 30 minutes out. How's everything going? He said, oh, no, everything's going great. I said, really? You're, you're off the roof? He said, yeah. He goes, I prayed. I said, great. And then what happened? God sent the UPS driver. <laughs> he put the ladder back up for me. <laughs> 
I said, okay, and did we learn anything from this experience? He goes, yes, obviously God wanted me to rest. I didn't realize it was going to be on the roof today, but I will take it. And thus, he, just, he adapted the respect of saying yes. In each season when God is asking me to do something, then that's the season that I must do. If it is to rest, it is to rest. If it is to give up a position, then I will do that. If it is to yield, I will yield. If it is to work, I will work. And thus has been his motto and his example for all of us in our family and for those that know him. The fourth aspect of Job was he shunned evil. For see, there is an active spiritual battle to keep evil away from him and his family. It's something that we don't talk about often enough sometimes, is that there is a spiritual battle going on. When we can recognize the roots of where the sins fall within our lives, and we are human, so they are there. When we can recognize that, then that allows us the ability to cut the chains, to call the opponent a liar, and to move ourselves out of spiritual warfare. Job when he was worth his children, it was a regular custom. They celebrated and they prayed. They prayed and they celebrated. If you look at the number of them, seven sons, correct? Three daughters, a mother, and a father. There was 12 in the family. Every month they were together celebrating and praying. They did it continuously. Job was the priest in the family as the head, and he exemplified it. It was a regular custom. In Proverbs 14, 16, it says, The wise fear the Lord and shun evil, but a fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. The enemy does have a plan. I came across this, and it was an interesting reading. The author is unknown. It says that Satan called a worldwide convention. In his opening address to his, to his evil angels, he said, you know, we can't keep Christians from going to church. We can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even make them change up or give up some of their values. But we can do other things. We can keep them from forming intimate abiding relationships and experience in Christ. If they gain that connection with Christ, our power over them is broken. So let them go to church. Let them have their, their ways in their lives, but steal their time so they can't gain that experience with Jesus Christ. That is what I want you to do. Distract them. How should we do this? Keep them busy in non-essential life. Tempt them to spend, spend, and then borrow, borrow. Keep them from spending time with their children. Fragment the family. Soon their homes will offer no escape from the pressures of the work. Entice them with video games and radio and TV and movies. 
jam their minds, jam their inboxes and their mailboxes with magazines and newspapers and flyers and sweepstakes and mail orders and catalogs. Don't let them get into a natural reflection of God's wonders. The angels went about their way eagerly to do the work. Keep Christians everywhere busy, 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 rushing, 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 not having time to praise and worship. Last Sunday, the reflection as I bring our time together to a close, Pastor Stan talked about the wilderness being in exile in our test, W-E-T, wet. Wilderness, exile, testing. Taking your wilderness your seasons, taking those times when you are in exile, taking the testings that happen in your life and willing everything to God. That is what we are called to do. That is what Job gives a reflection of doing. No matter where you are in the waters, and I go back to that old hymn, there's love, there's joy, there's peace waiting in the water. Wade in the water, children, wade in the water. Your deliverance is in the water. Wade in. Joy is in the water. Wade on in. Peace is in the water. Wade on in. Everything is in the water. And when we will everything to God, we reflect. For there are little eyes upon us. Wade in the water. Everything to the Father. We as Christians have eyes upon us. Whether they be children, whether it be our colleagues, whether they be people that we interact with at Market Basket. And if you go there on Sunday, there's a lot. There are people around us and in our lives. And Job gives us a reminder and a glimpse and a reflection that as Christians, we have a responsibility to share that light and love back onto others. We have a responsibility to keep wading in the water, not to remove ourselves out, but to stay on in, press on through, lean on in to Christ. As I close today, I come back to think of Manny Cabral. This gentleman who was quiet and loving and kind, a member of this very church, you don't know what tomorrow will ever bring. You don't know what your actions or what your words spoken and done today will emanate into the future. The children that are around us are like emails that we send out to a future time and place. Mr. Cabral sent me out as a young child. 
never realizing that I would come full circle and be standing here before you today. What you do in your season and in your journey matters, my friends. It matters. And in all of it, we are given the most amazing Father of all who is perfect in every way and wants us, who loves us so much, willing everything to God. That is what I leave with you today. Here ends our testimony for today. And at this time, we normally take this opportunity to have an altar call, an opportunity to simply put ourselves before our Savior. And it's interesting because today's Father's Day, and for some of us, there was a, a fractured possible relationship in that. There could have been a fractured relationship with maybe a mother in our lives. Maybe a, fracture, a possible fraction in a relationship with somebody else, a sibling, a loved one who has hurt us, who has harmed us. But here we are still walking, still waiting in the water. I offer you this day and this opportunity to come forward. Sometimes we need not only to forgive others, but also to forgive ourselves for the heaviness of the thoughts that have entered into our mind about the situation, about the previous season that we were in. At this time, we call for those who are just seeking to know Christ more deeper on an intimate level. At this time, as we sing our closing hymn, we open up the altar to each and every one of you that you might know that the Heavenly Father loves you, touches each and every one of you, receives you, and desperately and greatly would look and wants to have a personal relationship. Christ our Savior said yes, as I die and offer up my life to each one of you, I do so that we can be in communion with each other and have a relationship.